0: do you have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset? Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. Sometimes it's called a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. How about I break them down real quick and we'll talk about how they look when they show up in our lives. Sound good? Let's get after it. Hey, hey, welcome to the Eva show. I'm Eva Miller As a domestic violence survivor turned life and wellness coach, I'm on a mission to help you acknowledge your worth, reclaim your power and find your voice in this noisy world. If you're feeling stuck and looking for help or you just wanna be reminded that it's A-OK to be your unique self in a conforming world, you're in the right place. You ready to ditch expectations other people have put on you and rise to become who you've always wanted to be? Let's go. Hello, hello, I'm your host and life coach, Eva Miller. Welcome to episode 23 of the show. The theme of create continues all month long, and today we're talking about our mindset and whether it's fixed or growth-focused. And I'm gonna point out some of the differences just on the off chance that there's, it's something you haven't heard of before or thought about maybe. So a fixed mindset or a scarcity mindset believes that whatever you have now or are born with is basically maxed out. Scarcity believes there's not enough to go around, that you should take everything you can when you can because it might not ever come back. A fixed mindset tells you to hoard your resources and that someone else's success means well, there's less for you. There's a constant fear that you'll never get everything you desire and it fixates on what's missing or not available, always looking at the lack When people with this mindset usually make excuses as to why they can't have or do or be the thing they say they want to have or do or be. I know a woman who is always complaining about how much she has to do and how she can't get it all done. But when I've heard people suggest to her, or if I've ever suggested anything that maybe she could try She already has her mind made up and she tells you why she can't quit or change or shift or delegate or let go of it. And she always has a reason why that's not going to work. And so, what ends up happening is a whole lot of nothing. She tries nothing new, she changes nothing, and she gains nothing. And her fixed mindset keeps her stuck exactly where she is. A growth mindset or an abundance mindset, on the other hand, believes that anything's possible. And that there's enough for everyone. That you can take what you need right now because more is coming. And if you need it later, it'll be there. An abundant mindset gives generously. And it believes that seeing someone else's success is nothing more than showing you what's possible. An abundant mindset is a deeply held belief that what you desire will be yours. You just have to get out and work for it. And it focuses on what you've already got. Everything on hand is a tool. And you're not anxious about giving things away when you're in an abundant mindset because you know that there's always going to be something else available if you need it again. Have you ever heard somebody say they don't want to get rid of something because they might need it later? And then, you know, they basically have held on to the item they haven't used in like four years, just on the off chance they're going to need it six months from now. And I used to be one of those people. I used to think that way. But, you know, in my effort to be a good Girl Scout and be prepared for anything, I was accumulating a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't using. So I decided that if I hadn't used it in more than a year, and if it costs less than $50 to replace it, I was going to get rid of it and take my chances. And people with an abundant mindset look at their problems or their challenges or their situations that aren't what they want them to be, and they look at everything as a possible and potential solution. They get creative. Everything they have that's around them is viewed as a tool or an opportunity, and they're always ready to pivot so they can get or create what they want or need, and they stand ready to receive what's coming their way. And when you're aware of the way Your mindset frames these things and the potential that's unlocked when you choose to change the way you look at them, your whole life will change. And while the overarching theme today is creating an abundant mindset, I'm going to talk about the way it affects two specific areas of your life food and money. And the reason I chose those two areas is because it seems like when we discuss ideas and philosophies, sometimes it can be very pie in the sky and they're great to think about, but that means that it's hard to know what to actually do with them right now where we are. And I've always said I'm okay with pie in the sky stuff, but I need ham where I am. I got to know what to do with it now. And that's what I want to do today, which is why I chose these two areas we'll talk about an abundant mindset, but I want to dive into the nitty gritty to see what that looks like in everyday life. So I'm going to start with money first. I was raised with a scarcity mindset around money. Nobody in my family had an abundant mindset about this. And I've noticed through the years, even people who may not have been raised the way I was, they usually have some kind of weird energy or mindset or belief or some other kind of bullshit something attached to their ideas and beliefs about money too. And here's some of the stuff that I was taught and some of the messages I was given about money. Oh, you got money in the mail you weren't expecting? Better put it in your mouth and pray for lockjaw so it doesn't disappear. Money doesn't grow on trees, you know. We can't afford that. You can't create money out of thin air. You have to be a good steward or else you won't get more money. If you're dumb with the money you have, you're never going to get more. That's too expensive for us. We don't buy things like that. <laughs> I wish I could afford to buy fancy stuff like that. It must be nice to be able to get whatever you want when you want it. Do any of those sound familiar to you? How about these messages? Nobody ever said these words to me. But I did have some of these beliefs, and maybe you do too. Someone has to give you money. You can't just go get it yourself. You have to struggle to get money. You know, if you're really lucky and you're a good worker, you'll end up working for somebody who's generous and pays you a lot of money for your work. Do any of those beliefs belong to you? The thing is, money is just a tool. It's an energy exchange. It only has the value that we give it. You trade it for something that you think is worth that amount of money. And some people have a fixed mindset and they hoard money. Like if it's not a necessity like food, shelter, or clothing, they don't want to part with the money. And a lot of those people say some of the things I just mentioned, like, oh, I wish I could afford that. But how you do one thing is how you do everything. And knowing this, a fixed mindset is going to leave fingerprints all over your life because you hear it, you see it. But if you flip that, having an abundance focused mindset, that leaves clues too. And it shows up in the way you spend money. And I don't mean like irresponsible, blow every dollar kind of spending. I'm talking about the way you spend it, what you invest it in, what you trade your dollars for. So let's start with that. Do you invest in yourself? Do you put money into the world knowing that you're getting something in return that maybe maybe you can't measure right at first? Have you ever bought a gym membership? Why'd you do that? Probably because you wanted some kind of change in your life, right? So why don't you invest in yourself and your growth in other ways too? You know, a few episodes back, I can't remember which one, I shared with you how afraid I was of wasting money on homeschool curriculum when we first started homeschooling the kids. And in that episode, I told you, that i learned buying curriculum that didn't work for us really wasn't a waste of money because i learned what didn't work and then i sold that curriculum to somebody who wanted it and maybe i took a small loss monetarily but i didn't view it as a loss i viewed it as the cost i paid to learn something that i didn't know before like taking a class in college you you know get an education you trade your dollars for it and you know in sports it's win or lose. But FYI, life's not like that. In life, it's win or learn. Not every L is a loss, my friend. Years ago, I'd never invested in myself and I never would have thought that I would become like this. But here I am all this time later and I invest in me all the time in more ways than just a gym membership. Would it surprise you to know that I spend money on coaching for myself? Well, I do. A lot, actually. And I invest in courses regularly and seminars regularly, whether they're virtual or online, virtual or in-person, whatever. I always spend money on things that will benefit me and my growth in some way. I spend a lot of money investing in me because I'm always betting on myself. I can't ever lose what I learn when I invest in me and what I get when I do that. You know, when I hired... Like a business coach several years ago to help me get started. Obviously, yeah, I cared about my ROI, my return on investment. I wanted to know if I trade these thousands of dollars, what am I going to get in return? But I understood that some of the things I was going to get from that program, they weren't going to come in the form of money. And I learned this because of our time with Dr. Scott when Moose and I went to marriage counseling. And at the time, I was only focused on what he charged. He charged $100 a session. And that was back in 1991. I don't even want to know what therapist charged now. But I was young and I was stumbling through life. I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know to shift my focus on the tools that we were getting and the things we were learning and the growing we were doing until a lot later. But our marriage was literally saved by going to him not because we were on the brink of divorce. We weren't, but we were frustrated. We were stuck. We didn't know how to communicate. And we were caught in a cycle that by ourselves would have taken years to get out of if we ever fully did. And you know, I'm going to be honest, not one single time when we had a session with Dr. Scott, did I ever walk out of his office thinking, wow, that was really hopeful today, which is weird, probably because I was in so much pain. We were doing a lot of hard inner work, but on top of the tools we learned that we're still using all these years later, we've actually gotten a lot of new insights over and over and over since those sessions. We keep learning new things. So the $12,000 that we were charged for his services, they gave us growth we can't put a price on. Actually, that's not true. We kind of did, in fact, I shared this in a previous episode, I think, but I'll share it again for anybody who's listening that might be new. Somebody asked us once how much we spent on marriage counseling, and we calculated $20,000 because $12,000 for what Dr. Scott charged, and the other eight (laughs) was in credit card bills because we weren't allowed to talk about anything when we left his office, and we were hurting and raw and in lots of pain and angry And so we used our credit card. We'd go to a store, we had a credit card, and we'd go charge something to make us feel better. And then it took us a long time to pay off all that interest. And so we estimate about $20,000. And then the person who asked us that said, how much would someone have to pay you guys to go back to the place before you ever went to Dr. Scott and unlearn what you learned? And when he asked us that, Moose and I looked at each other and both of us immediately said at least $100,000 because we would take that money and go hire someone to help us work through and learn the things. That's what our marriage is worth to us now. And the business coach I hired a few years ago, I didn't just learn stuff from him about how to start my coaching business. I learned things about myself and about the business practices that are important to me. And working with one of my other business coaches actually ultimately led to this podcast and being connected to the woman and her team who produce it every week. And you're actually going to hear from Sarah in the next episode. Um, By the way, I'm not doing interviews on this show anymore. I'm only going to have conversations with people. And I know you're probably thinking what's the difference, but the difference is I don't like the whole go back and forth, question, answer, question, answer. I think it's an okay way to share information, but I feel like focusing on just having a conversation in a more organic way allows for more real talk and more nuances to come through rather than feeling like it's focused on a script. So that's what's up. Anyway, if it wasn't for that coach, okay, yeah, I might have still started the podcast if I hadn't continued being too chicken shit. I mean, I sat on it for nearly four years already, and maybe I'd have started it. But even if I would have, it probably wouldn't be what it is today. And I probably wouldn't have reached the top 10% of all global podcasts in such a short amount of time if it wasn't for having someone help me like Sarah. Working with coaches and therapists has gotten me what I wanted in less time than if I had done it on my own. So I can say, oh, I paid X amount of dollars for business coaching, but since money is just an energy exchange, what I've gotten back can't be quantified with only a dollar amount. I mean, I can say, oh, I've made money at this amount. I've spent this amount. We can look at that metric, but my whole life is different from having been to a marriage therapist, from taking courses, from attending seminars, and from hiring coaches. Like, I'm happier. My marriage is intimate and thriving. I'm more confident. I view the world and my place in it very differently than I did back then. So what about you? Your life is a direct result of your beliefs. Your beliefs drive your behaviors and your behaviors create the results you get. So what scarcity beliefs do you need to reframe toward abundance In order to change the results in your life that you don't want. And if you're caught in the belief that you um, shouldn't spend any money or that spending money on yourself is a waste and that your rest of your family should come first, I'm just gonna tell you, you gotta let that go, babe. You have to invest in yourself in some way. And when you do, see how that feels. But just know when you do that your growth keeps going. Long after the initial investment. So don't just like invest in yourself and then think two, th- two weeks later or two months later that what you've seen is all you're going to see from that. Okay. Now let's talk about FOMO, fear of missing out. We joke about it, but it sets us up to have a scarcity mindset. And this actually applies to all kinds of things in our lives. But I'm, I want to put the spotlight on it today regarding food. Because I think when you look at it in the terms of food, that kind of has a ripple effect on maybe how you view other ways you spend money, ways you spend time, stuff like that. So here's what I'm talking about. You ready? <laughs> it's cherry blow pops. <laughs> okay. You know, the lollipops with the gum in the middle. I love those, but I only love the cherry flavor. But when you buy a bag you get like grape and strawberry and green apple and grapes. Okay. Strawberry is a little better. I don't even bother with green apple, but that cherry is the best one, but they only make a bag of cherry only for Valentine's day. And so last year, when I first saw them, I bought like (laughs) six bags that day. And then I went back and bought a couple more and I'm like, oh yeah, lifetime supply of Cherry Blow Pops. That was until my granddaughter Peyton got a hold of some of them. But anyway, why did I buy six or eight bags? That was dumb. I can literally walk into any gas station or grocery store in any city in America and buy a Cherry Blow Pop anytime I want. But I let scarcity or the fear of missing out drive my behavior instead of realizing, hold on, this is available anytime I want. I mean, and it took me over a year. <laughs> we just finished, okay, not quite a year. We just finished the last of the cherry only bag of lollipops. And okay, it, you're probably thinking, wow, you're talking about a $3 bag of lollipops to use as an example of your mindset. But okay, and maybe it is crazy. That's fine. But here's another example. How about the special food dishes that we only cook and eat at holidays? like ham or green bean casserole or granny's dressing or mama's pumpkin pie or pecan pie. I mean, have you noticed people eat a lot more than they normally would at Christmas and Thanksgiving because we only get some of those food dishes once a year. And so we gorge ourselves, we eat beyond where we're comfortable, and then we excuse it because We say, well, I'm not going to get it after today or I'm not going to get it after this weekend, so I'm enjoying it now. And then we do like the whole thing all at once in one weekend. You know, when you break it down, once your body is satisfied with the food, you're not enjoying it at the same level the longer you eat it. And you don't feel good physically because you're stuffed and bloated and miserable and because you feel miserable you're kind of enjoying it a little less and then that gets us stuck in that spiral of self-sabotage energy that's hard to pull ourselves out because we just keep going down 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 in that spiral it turns into well i blew it yesterday i might as well just finish eating these leftovers today and i'll start monday whatever right for what it's worth last time i checked ham is available in the frozen section of the grocery store every day. Turkey, too. And the ingredients for green bean casserole and the can of pumpkin filling, those are on the shelves every time I go to Publix. Don't get me wrong. I love that we mark holidays and special occasions with special food, decorations, all of that. But my point is, just like last episode, I talked about this. It becomes a problem when we take something that's good and we let it morph into something that starts to hold us back in some way. Years ago, you may have read or heard this story too, and I might be mixing up a couple of details. So this is the Eva paraphrase, okay? But I read a story about uh, that a girl wrote when she was a little girl, um her mom had these special china special dishes and they sat in this cabinet and they never came out and she asked her mom hey why don't we ever use these dishes and she had one in her hand her mom was like hey put that down before you break it those dishes are only used for special occasions and she didn't say anything else but she was kind of like well what's a special occasion cuz we haven't used them and then her mom died and the dishes were used at her mom's wake and her point was you have to seize the day because you don't know if you're going to get another one. Like today's a special occasion. This is it. Use the good dishes was what she was saying. And so I read that story and that, you know, abundance now mindset caused me to reevaluate some stuff in my own life. And I started doing a couple of things differently, and this is sort of weird. But when I was writing my notes out for this episode, this was the first thing that popped into my head. And so I'm just going to share it with you. It's ham. Moose's mom made the best ham at Christmas. And we love it. And I had her teach me how she makes it. It's very simple, nothing super crazy special. But I noticed that we have a tendency to overeat when we have the ham because it just tastes so good. We just want more of it, more, more of that delicious ham on my taste buds. And so we were just eating too much. And then we were miserable. And then we'd wait till next Christmas to have ham. So I started making ham a couple times a year, and I just divide it out into portions, <laughs> into serving sizes for dinners, and use it. I stick it in the freezer and use it when it's time. And so far, I must not be doing it too much because it hasn't taken away the specialness from the ham. It's, it's still just as delicious, and I'm not tempted to overeat it either because, well, I'm, you know we'll make it again later. We've got some in the freezer. We can have it anytime. It's abundant. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a winning attitude. So what other areas do you have a fixed mindset or a scarcity mindset instead of abundance? Maybe your beliefs about meeting your personal goals, maybe about who success is possible for and at what level, like Maybe you believe that somebody else can be wildly successful, but you really only believe that you can be mildly successful. What about the attention you get from other people? Are you afraid that if you share your recipe that somebody else will either make it better than you do or that people will stop coming to you for it? What about your desire to make an impact in the world? Because I know if you're listening to this podcast, that's on your radar. You're not here for nothing. You're here for something. Is your desire to make an impact on the world a fixed mindset or does it come from a place of abundance? My first coach, Rob, almost didn't become a coach because Tony Robbins is one. He he really thought, well Tony Robbins is a co- is a coach, what can I do? I mean, that's ridiculous of course because he he Tony Robbins is just one person and Rob is amazing all by himself anyway, so is Tony. But just like in the last episode, can we just love the collective? And fortunately, Rob got over himself and he's making a huge impact on the world all over the place because there's more than enough for everyone. I think a sieve is a great picture of what living with an abundant mindset is like. A sieve is used to separate larger particles from smaller ones. So like if you pour powdered sugar into a sieve, you know, that's what you... That's usually what they will tell you to sift or whatever if you're making cookies or something. But if you just pour the powdered sugar in, the clumps of sugar stay in the sieve and the finer, more granulated sugar pieces pass through. And so as you're pouring into the top, some of the sugar keeps coming out of the other end. And I really feel like that's how we should be. When things get poured into us, we should pour them out of us and into the, into the world and to other people too. Like, we're going to retain some of it. You ever used a sieve? Like, you don't clean it all out until you wash it. But we don't have to fear running out and not having enough. So are you passing things along to others, or are you hoarding them and keeping them to yourself? Are you a hoarder, or are you generous? What are you freely giving to the world and to the people around you? Do you give of yourself, your time, your money? Do you share your knowledge and your wisdom and your skills or do you keep it all to yourself so you can hold on to it because you're afraid you're going to run out and not have more to share? Vulnerable tidbit here. Before I started this podcast, I was secretly afraid that I only had like 12 things of value inside me and that when I shared all 12, the podcast was going to have to end because I'd have nothing left. And it might sound dumb. I actually literally did write that on the piece of paper. That's how I know. If you write it down, you'll realize how dumb it is. Because the truth is, the more I share, the more I learn. And if you think I share a lot on the show, you should see what I share with my clients. And energy begets energy. So the more I share, the more I get from them and from the world. And the more I get, the more I share. I want to challenge you before I go today spend some time this week looking for areas where you might have a scarcity mindset and think of how you can flip that. Write it down. Like I said, looking at at it on paper, you'll see how dumb some of them sound. And I'll give you a tool to help you with that. It's it's just a question to ask yourself. And that question is, when you're looking and thinking about uh, an area, ask yourself, am I hoarding and hiding or am I open and sharing? And be honest with yourself. Nobody has to know any of this is happening or what you're doing except you. And there's this is a no shame zone. There is no shame allowed in the personal growth zone of research, okay? So I'm going to go. One last thought. Don't be stingy. Be a sieve. That's it for me. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you back next week. Peace. Okay, changemaker. That's it for me this time. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in working with me, you can book a Blue Skies Discovery call. It's totally free. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for being here. Talk to you next Monday.